Our dependence on connected technology is growing faster than our ability to secure it, especially in areas affecting public safety and human life. I'm Bryson Bort, and this is Hack the Plant. Electricity, finance, transportation, our water supply. We take these critical infrastructure systems for granted, but they're all becoming increasingly dependent on the internet to function. Every day, I ask and look for answers to the questions. Does our connectivity leave us more vulnerable to attacks by our enemies? I'm a senior fellow at the R Street Institute and the co-founder of the nonprofit ICS Village, educating people on critical infrastructure security with hands-on examples, not just nerd stuff. I founded Grimm in 2013, a consultancy that works the front lines of these problems every day for clients all over the world. It's playing out in Israel right now where hackers have been going after Israeli water systems. Again, not to steal information from them, but to change the setting on the chemicals in Israeli water. Each month, I'm going to walk you through my world of hackers, insiders, and government working on the front lines of cybersecurity and public safety to protect the systems you rely upon every day. If you think that the small town water authorities and the mom and pop size companies uh, have better cybersecurity in the US than the Israelis do, I have really, really bad news for you. An attack on our critical infrastructure, the degradation to the point that they can no longer support us means that we go back to the Stone Age literally overnight. If we think the government's gonna solve it for us, we're wrong, we have to help them. This is not a podcast for the faint of heart. If you want to meet those protecting the world and what problems keep them up at night, then this is the podcast for you. I'm Bryson Bort, and this is Hack the Plant. For today's episode, I'm joined by Ariel Stern, formerly an engineer in the Israeli Ministry of Defense, and a civil infrastructure project manager, now currently the CEO of IACA, which offers remote monitoring for industrial Internet of Things. Ariel has a forward-looking approach to creating resilience in critical infrastructure, anticipating that we are entering a new era where hard infrastructure has machine learning capabilities. We are uh, in the beginning of a new revolution, but now everything begins to be interconnected. And I think this is the biggest revolution about interconnecting all the different assets out there to one big network for decision-making, for better operation. Might sound like science fiction, but the technology that can create resilient infrastructure for tomorrow is almost here today. IoT data creation, management, and analysis to advanced artificial intelligence pattern recognition and prediction. The infrastructure space at its majority is still in the stage of creating the data, meaning you need to have a systematic manner to collect the data or create and collect the data and then manage it before a, a big deployment of AI tools and machine learning tools are utilized. And we are not there yet. In the majority of the utilities, there are some outliers out there that are dramatically better than the others, but the majority of the utilities in the remote assets can dramatically improve the way they collect and manage data. So the algorithm stage is still in its infancy, meaning 
We are not at the very big and complicated area yet in this space. Probably five to ten years into the future uh, is the bigger part around those areas. How can technology make our critical infrastructure more resilient? How does AI fit in? We explore this and more in this episode. Industrial revolutions. In the beginning, we discovered mechanization through steam and water power. Then, mass production, assembly lines, the introduction of electricity. Finally, Industry 3.0. Automation, computerization, a lot of the challenges and things that we've been talking about on this podcast over time. But are we on the cusp of another revolution? Ariel, what do you think? Yes. We are uh, in the beginning of a new revolution, the 4.0 revolution, the fourth industrial revolution that affects everything. Uh, as you mentioned, the three previous revolution brought many things to life, but now everything began to be interconnected. And I think this is the biggest revolution about interconnecting all the different assets out there to one big network for decision-making, for better operation. This is, I think, the meaning of the fourth revolution. But it goes beyond interconnection. We're looking at where our devices can start to become autonomous, where industrial cyber can begin to make its own decisions and you know, react to what we see in the environment. So yes, so interconnection is the first part. And by interconnecting, you have like the ability to make better decision through awareness the devices or the assets start to understand or understanding is like there is a big difference between machines and humanity, right? But almost understand what is going on and you can program them or define set of rules so that to be better reactive to the environment. So yes, interconnection is the beginning. Then you get into a much more interoperable and awareness mode. Okay. So it sounds like we're also now starting to look at the concepts of machine learning and artificial intelligence. Can you explain what those are and why are we doing this and how does it benefit us? So, yes. So machine learning and artificial intelligence are big terms and it will be very hard to isolate in one sentence. But in general, when you have a lot of data and you have a lot of need to use this data, in many cases, running standard processes or standard algorithms is not enough. You need to go to the higher level of algorithms and develop the system to represent what we call intelligence, meaning the ability to deduct meaning from those patterns of data, to look for things you cannot see with your eyes, meaning interconnection between data. Uh, it's strange, but many of us are using artificial intelligence tools on a day-to-day without even knowing that. Uh, for example, the camera application in the smartphones improve um, video or uh, photo quality for artificial intelligence. The search mechanisms in the, in the web, when you look for something and the search engine improve your searches, all of those are examples of a day-to-day AI, artificial intelligence, uh, which help you to do more with the data or the processes around you. Same goes for infrastructure the ability to do more with the data collected and to react better to changing condition. This is the essence of the AI. So what, what brought you into this? What is your background? So started early career in the defense industry and multidisciplinary project management, and then spent the middle part of my career in civil infrastructure. I was a project manager for a very big uh, transportation project 
where I saw the different inability of different systems to work together. And after a few years in project management in infrastructure, we started Ayeka, me and my friend started Ayeka. He coming from the cybersecurity and software world. I'm coming from the hardware and project manager. And we started Ayeka through that. So you were a project manager in industrial control systems. That was uh, what got you into infrastructure? Actually, it was more than that. I was a project manager in a civil engineering project. Although my education is electrical engineer, I did some uh, project management for civil infrastructure. So I did. I had the opportunity to see, to see the multidisciplinary world of both civil infrastructure and design of electrical uh, system, and then connect the two world together. Okay. And so at what point did you realize that um, we were on the cusp of this fourth industrial revolution? I don't think that you can say it was a single point, but it's through the process of understanding the landscape and getting to know who is doing what. We developed the concept that things can be done better and bringing concept and disciplines from the defense industry into the civil infrastructure space brought the idea that many more benefits can come out of embedding intelligence and data from remote field assets into the day-to-day -day operation of infrastructure. So it was not a single point in time, but more likely a process, the early stages of Ayeka that brought us to this direction. So in terms of uh, that, that time frame, then, um, what's, uh, what's going to be coming next? Well, it's a big question. I'll tell you what we see. We started as, our solution started as a very efficient way to create data. This is the first challenge we faced, how to effectively create data at scale. And then the second part of the solution came to managing the data, how to make sure the data is stored properly, protected, and interoperable with other data systems. And I think that now, over the last few months, or we are starting to face the utilization stage, meaning now we have a huge repository of infrastructure data. How can we bring more benefits to the customer, which is more than the obvious data tools or set of tools coming from the data directly? So we're starting to build a set of uh, solutions around two themes. The main theme, the first theme is anomaly detection meaning to detect a normal con abnormal condition in the infrastructure before you see damage or any of the uh, obvious evidence. And the second area is about data quality, uh, because when you say the fourth industrial revolution, it's around data and you need high quality data. And we have years of experience for creation of data and improving the data quality is a very, very big challenge in the space. So we are also focusing on this area, data quality and anomaly detection. One of the things that's unique about critical infrastructure is the fact that we're not just talking about computer data in terms of what we typically see in, in computing, right? It's not just uh, my phone storing something. It's not my laptop just having something. It's computing that can actually change the physical world, hopefully most of the time for better. Um, but as you said, anomalies can be where something might bad might happen. Right, we're we're talking about potential of loss of life or or limb. So, can you translate and give us more examples of what you mean by data in that context? Yes. And before we dive to more specific example, I would like to to imagine how infrastructure looks like, because for many people it's not so obvious uh, when you talk about critical infrastructure or hard infrastructure. So, we imagine the water distribution networks or the wastewater collection networks, or the energy networks. We're talking about very, very big dispersed networks. 
and effectively collecting data from them can bring a lot of benefits on the day-to-day -day operation. We have, for example, very interesting and unique projects around stormwater management, uh, meaning the real-time management of rain um, in big catchment basins and how to prevent or reduce the number of overflows and floods in specific metropolitan areas. This is one great example for how smart infrastructure can really save lives and save money. Um, the second one I can give is, for example, uh, water quality. Me monitoring in real time the water quality in different parts of the network, uh, meaning replacing manual processes and detecting uh, the um, degradation or deterioration of drinking water quality in real time. This is from the water space and on and on. Every type of infrastructure have its own unique set of challenges. They share the same common challenges, but they, uh, they translate into unique uh, sets. And collecting the data and using it through algorithms and software system is dramatically improved the way the stakeholders managing the infrastructure. Hopefully it gave some color to the, to the story because I understand that connecting the very physical infrastructure, even in your mind, you probably see in your mind uh, manholes and power lines and taps and roads and bridges. This is the image people think about when you talk about hard infrastructure. And now try to imagine what is the digital space looks like. So you think about computers and computer screens and databases and putting those two together is sometimes mind-blowing, right? Connecting those two physical and virtual world together. But this is what we do on a day-to-day -day, and it really changed the way operators and stakeholders are making decisions over utilities. So going back to where you talked about data quality, what, what is data quality? Getting it, let's look for a specific example. Let's say you want to measure, let's go for the very timely uh, subject of floods. Right now, everywhere in the world, we are in uh, August 2021, everywhere in the world you have major floods. Um, so running a better collection system involved in monitoring level and flow in wastewater collection networks. So when we talk about data quality, we say those remote monitoring stations that measure those physical parameters, both of the level and the flow and other parameters of the network, you need to, you need to understand that many in many cases, the data is not good. The data itself cannot be, cannot, cannot be declared as good data because it's inaccurate, maybe not available, maybe you have some technical problem, maybe the specific site is not very uh, tuned to provide high quality data. And when you take this data and utilize it into artificial intelligence system or decision-making protocols, you need to make sure that the data you can claim is good quality, exactly like the sound quality, like video quality, like any type of other data, digital data that you collect, you need to monitor its quality. Same with critical infrastructure. But unlike more common thing that we are dealing with, meaning in the IT space, in infrastructure, all of those quality issues are becoming 10 times harder because everything is dispersed. Okay, Ariel, this, this, sounds, this sounds good, right? We're, we've got computerized systems, this produces efficiency, this provides better insights to make these decisions, but it also introduces, it introduces risk. Uh, how do we look at the security aspect of this to reduce the greater risk that we're bringing to interconnected devices? You got it correctly, meaning connecting things also uh, bring the concern of 
cybersecurity, which is a very big term. In critical infrastructure, if you have cyber threats, you can they can create a lot of damage over very, very short attack time stands. Uh, they can shut off critical services, they can create havoc in the networks, they can disable operator ability to access their facilities, etc. And we facing now with the infrastructure space, they are battling at two fronts. One front is the operational side. They are battling daily with stressed networks, with compliance, with uh, the operational side of the network. And on the second hand, they're also battling on the cyber front uh, against endless and countless attacks from different entities. And we need to make sure that when we connect the assets, we make sure that we take care of the cybersecurity aspect, the same as we connect the laptop or computer inside the facility network. And this is an area that some people are currently not focused on, meaning the IT department is very good at connecting new net uh, network assets, for example, new laptops or servers, etc. They have protocols and many, many um, routines around how to connect new computers or smartphones, those things. And when you connect remote asset, infrastructure asset, the manhole or the uh, emergency generator or the storage tanks into the network, and you literally embed them with connectivity and intelligence as part of the revolution, you need to make sure that those intelligent assets and connected assets are well protected, at least as your laptops and smartphones and servers. And we are currently at the front line of explaining and educating the market that when you embed and remote physical assets, typically they are hardware only, what used to be only hardware, with electronic connected devices make cybersecurity one of your top priorities on top of almost everything else because those assets become critical part of your IT network as well. So you got you got the story very right, meaning the, the concern about cybersecurity in critical infrastructure should be a first degree um, priority for decision makers and operators. Uh, so artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, in fact, we, we kicked off the uh, podcast series with P.W. Singer, who wrote a book called Burnin, talking about how uh, the uh, abuse of artificial intelligence led to uh, dystopic results. Um, how would you uh, address that perspective as we start to include artificial intelligence and machine learning in the fourth industrial revolution? I think that for those who are involved in this process need to be very careful about how they embed such tools into their day-to-day -day routines. Artificial intelligence and machine learning are description of tools or uh, concepts. There are many types of specific tools inside it. So you need to be very careful how to do it in order not to lose control of the network and not to lose the sense of um, human intelligence inside the framework of infrastructure but take the benefits of AI and machine learning in and properly embed them into the process, the decision-making process, but in a controlled manner. Meaning some people think that the infrastructure space is moving slower than others, right? There is a lot of saying, why aren't they adopt new technologies? How come they are still in the middle ages, etc.?" But the reality is that in many cases they are dealing with processes and networks that are much more important than others that uh, embed technology very, very fast or make like uh, huge experiments uh, through AI and machine learning. 
in the critical infrastructure, safety is the first priority, and then security is the second priority. And you need to be very careful how to embed the tools in order to make sure you get the benefits, but reduce the risk. Give an example, in our case, data, improving data quality does not, does not increase the risk because it's almost a passive process. You improve data quality and then you use it uh, further down the road. Making sure the AI and machine learning are well-controlled, well-trained, and well-managed is another challenge that needs to be um, properly handled by the decision makers in the infrastructure space. One of the challenges with machine learning and artificial intelligence is the the quality of the data, but in, in a different way. There are uh, things that we don't know um, and that that creates implied bias in our design. I mean, we have to train the computer to think in a certain way, and those data sets help do that. Um, does that does that play at all into how you work with uh, data and helping provide training sets for that? Yes, we start to see that, but uh, from our perspective, those challenges will be down the road. We are still much early on in the process of taking infrastructure data and utilizing it through machine learning. The infrastructure space at its majority is still in the stage of creating the data, meaning you need to have a systematic manner to collect the data or create and collect the data and then manage it before a, a big deployment of AI tools and machine learning tools are utilized. And we are not there yet in the majority of the utilities, meaning there are some um, outliers out there that are dramatically better than the others, but the majority of the utilities in the remote assets can dramatically improve the way they collect and manage data. So the algorithm stage is still in its infancy, meaning we are not at the very big and complicated area yet in this space. Probably five to 10 years into the future uh, is the bigger part around those areas. Okay, so we're, we're not quite there yet. Is there a particular industry that you think is going to adopt this uh, more quickly than others? It's come in different directions, meaning every industry has its own reasons why they're adopting it. Some of them are going for the financial benefits. They can save money or dramatically optimize. Some of them are going for the environmental aspect because they are challenged by the environment. And some of them are only facing it when there are compliance-related issues, meaning when the regulators are demanding it. We see a great traction in the water and wastewater space on a global scale, meaning North America, Far East Asia, etc. We see some traction in the oil and gas, in the upstream oil and gas. But I think water and wastewater is the biggest growth engine of this space for the upcoming three to five years. Gut feeling. And, and why is uh, wastewater going to be what, what goes first? I think that the water and wastewater uh, segments are facing unparalleled challenges from different fronts, such as um, operational stresses, meaning you need to supply much more services um, to your population. You have environmental aspects, the global, global weather pattern changes. You see more rain in many cases, floods. You see less rain in many cases, uh, droughts, for example, in the Southwest. And also compliance, meaning regulators are, are very involved in the water and wastewater. 
So I think this pushes them to the reality that they need to invest in solutions that are not just replacing the infrastructure or rebuild it in a bigger way, but in, add intelligence to it. So our belief or from our experience, those are the segments that will benefit most immediately from such a transition. Okay. So it's going to be a not internet connected crystal ball. It has magical powers. It has all of the future data sets for artificial intelligence in it to predict. What do you think is one good thing and one bad thing that's going to happen in the next five years in critical infrastructure? The good thing is that I think now it's a top priority for policymakers, meaning everybody need understand and they're moving, deploying resources to improve, rebuild, and reinvent infrastructure. It started with the New Deal that is now taking place in the US, but it's all over the place. So this is the good thing. Infrastructure become a first priority. The bad thing is that I believe that some, some individuals are underestimate the need to dramatically um, change the way infrastructure work. Meaning they believe that yes, infrastructure is a priority, but you need to rebuild it and not to dramatically change the way it works. And as long as this type of uh, mentality will be popular in the infrastructure space, things will not move to the direction that uh, will change the infrastructure. So the good thing is that there is now focus. The bad thing that is that some people or some individuals or some entities still need to rethink how they address those challenges in order to make the complete transition into the benefit of digital space. All right. So... You can be king for a day. We don't even need to worry about the policymakers. Now you have an internet connected, air gapped, right? If you will, magic wand. Wave that magic wand. What's one thing that you would instantly change in this industry? Probably the requirement that a certain percentage of the infrastructure assets under a certain management entity will be interconnected within a certain period of time. So to mandate the transition to digital space by addressing the unconnected part of the network, meaning telling a utility you have, let's say, 36 months to connect 20% of your remote assets, thing like that. I think this will dramatically kickstart a very, very massive flywheel for digitization. All right. Uh, so what's something that we didn't cover that you would like to talk about? I think it's important to emphasize that when you talk about industrial revolutions, uh, the, the key word is the industry. And infrastructure is a bit different. So, and it's now the rise of the term infrastructure 4.0, which is a bit offshot or a spin-off of industry 4.0. It's the understanding that the infrastructure needs special treatment or special care in how they deal with the basic part of IoT, meaning the interconnectivity, the connection of the assets, the management of the data, the protection from cybersecurity, the disconnection from the rest of the world, all of those aspects are quite unique for infrastructure. And it's important to emphasize that yes, IoT is moving forward. Yes, we see a lot of industry use cases and we're only starting to see the full potential of infrastructure uh, IoT, meaning IoT 4.0. And the more focus will be put on how to connect those remote infrastructure and how to better utilize 
algorithms and methodologies to better manage it, I think we will move faster toward a more sustainable infrastructure because the way things are managed today, a lot of people believe this is a dead end, meaning there is, no enough, there is not enough capacity in the existing networks to sustain us for the upcoming three, four, maybe five decades. A shift should start now and digital infrastructure is a major component in this shift. Thank you for listening to Hack the Plant, a podcast of the R Street Institute and ICS Village Nonprofit. Subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. Even better, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so we can reach even more listeners. Tell us what you thought about it and who we should interview next by finding us on Twitter at RSI or at ICS underscore village. Finally, if you want to know more about R Street or ICS Village, visit rstreet.org or icsvillage.com. I'm your host, Bryson Borg. Thank you to executive producer Tyler Lowe of Fader Creative, creative producer William Gray, and editor Dominic Sterrett of Sterrett Production.